Hi, welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Well, on the fright meter, I dare say that my guest today ranks pretty highly. Uh, he takes the needle into the high zone because what he's saying is that what we're experiencing right now can more accurately be described not as a pandemic, but as a bioweapon attack, whether intentional or not, that was bound to happen. That may sound like hyperbole, but consider the source. Professor Francis Boyle is a human rights lawyer currently teaching international law at the University of Illinois. In 1989, President Bush Sr. signed into law the Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act that was called for and drafted by Professor Boyle. His 2005 book, Biowarfare and Terrorism, details the dangerous and illegal history of actions taken by several US government administrations that made both the 2001 anthrax attacks right after the uh, building attacks on 9-11 and COVID-19 inevitable. Welcome, Professor Boyle. Well, uh, thank you very much, Christina, for having me on my best year viewing uh, audience and happy holidays to everyone. I, I don't mean to sound pedantic here, but the uh, Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act that I drafted and called for was passed unanimously by both houses of the United States Congress, both the House and the Senate. And then it was passed and signed into law, as you correctly pointed out, by President Bush uh, Sr. So what can I say about that? Yeah. Well, before I start asking you questions, I, I've, first of all, everybody in my audience should read your book, Biowarfare and Terrorism. I've read that book, it lit my hair on fire because it really creates the ultimate historical context in which you can understand what's going on right now. I, I just wanna read something from your book that was drop dead prescient. I mean, it almost predict, predicted what's going on right now. This is what you wrote. The world will soon witness a de facto biological arms race among the major biotech states of the world under the guise of defense. It will then become only a matter of time before some state intelligence agency uses biological weapons, again, for domestic terrorist purposes or for foreign warfare, or else a catastrophic accident occurs in some biowarfare facility in the United States or abroad. In regard to this latter eventuality, the recent mass distribution, allegedly by mistake, of a virulent 1957 pandemic flu virus strain, which killed between 1 million and 4 million people to 4,614 laboratories, primarily in the United States, and also to 17 foreign countries, is a harbinger of things to come. 
Well, Christina, please understand I'm I'm appearing, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for the very fine work the Progressive News Network does. Uh, and I'm not here to scaremonger anyone. I, I'm trying to figure out what is going on so that we can come to grips with it. And right now, I don't think we're being told the truth by by our government uh, what what is happening. Um, and indeed, uh, I also said the same thing. If your listeners, your viewers are interested, there's uh, an award-winning uh, documentary by Cohn and Nadler called Anthrax War. Uh, you can view it on uh, on the internet. And you will see in there at the very end what we're dealing there was a documentary on BSL-3s and BSL-4s, biosafety level three and four, where they do this biological warfare work. And I said at the very end, I said, this is a catastrophe waiting to happen. Said that quite clearly. And they used that at, at the very end. And it was clear something like this was going uh, to happen. And then I also, if you do, uh, I, I sent you an interview I gave to a friend of mine, an investigative reporter, Sherwood Ross, uh, 2015, where I also said, you know, this is a biocatastrophe waiting to happen. And I regret to say it has now uh, happened. Um, and I've done the best I can since 1985 to stop it. <laughs> uh, the Council for Responsible Genetics was uh, set up there in uh, Cambridge, Mass, where I, I had gone, you know, to Harvard. And they asked me, some of the best life scientists in the world there, Harvard, MIT, Sloan Kettering, you name it. And they asked me to uh, handle their biological warfare work for them. So that's pretty much how long I've been um, working on this. Um, now, with respect to the COVID pandemic, I did give an interview last January 24 that went viral all over the world, stating that in my assessment of the situation, based on all the facts, uh, this was uh, an offensive biological warfare weapon that leaked out of the Wuhan BSL-4 there uh, in China. Uh, I do not believe it was done deliberately. You know, if you're following some of the right-wing news media, they're saying this is a commie war against us and this, that. Right, I'm, right. I'm not, you know, understand, I'm not a China basher. I'm not a neocon. I'm not a warmonger. As a matter of fact, I I studied, uh, a year, you know, Chinese civilization at the University of Chicago with, with the late, great William Hardy McNeil, who's a, a rival to uh, Toynbee. So I have a, a lot of respect for their civilization over there. Indeed, I, I was invited on a uh, lecture tour at the beginning of uh, 2019 over there for two weeks, but it was canceled, I was told, because of the uh, ideological uh, crackdown there by President Xi. I guess I was a running dog capitalist roadster from Harvard Law School. And they didn't <laughs> want to hear from me. But that being said, uh, the Wuhan BSL-4, this is China's first Fort Detrick. We, we have to understand that. We have our Fort Detrick, and they, uh, under President Xi, decided they're going to play with the big boys, as I predicted in, in my book that you correctly pointed out in 
in 2003, it was clear. I mean, you know, the Chinese, the Russians, they can read the same sources I do. Now, please understand, I've never worked for the United States government as a matter of principle going back to the Vietnam War. I've never had a security clearance. I've never had access to uh, any, you know, uh, classified information or anything like that. It's just in the public records that, that I read. It was very clear what was going on. And so I'm sure the, uh, you know, Chinese, they have very bright scholars over there, scientists, they read it and they decided to get their own Fort Detrick. We had one, they were gonna have one. And, and you know, between you and me, uh, Christina, uh, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, this could have leaked out of Fort Detrick, right? And it didn't, uh, it, it leaked out of the Wuhan BSL-4. Uh, and I'm afraid this is what we've been dealing with. Um, and uh, what is what is your assessment of, uh, you know, David E. Martin? He has uh, come out with uh, documents and so forth. And he keeps talking about uh, the University of North Carolina actually um, working with Wuhan coronavirus and actually uh, 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 you know, cooperating, collaborating scientifically, you know, right, I, was I mean, all this is not to say, again, I, and that's why I said intentionally or not, but what, what your book does is it talks about, it, it talks about how illegal research being done with these dangerous viruses, uh, for, the purpose allegedly of creating vaccines against them in case they're used. I mean, deadly viruses that exist in nature, you create vaccines for them. Yeah, I get that. But the part about creating, um, you know, Franken vaccines by, you know, uh, through gene splicing and all that stuff, and then to you know coming up with a vaccine for that you can see you can see the nefarious you know future in that but what what interests me is that you basically talk about how the government laid the groundwork for this by allowing it to occur by basically breaking the law. And this is several administrations in, right? I mean, am I right. assessing? I, what uh, prompted me to get call for my um, biological weapons anti-terrorism act, it was clear way back in the Reagan administration when Fauci went to work for Reagan, uh, that they were using DNA genetic engineering to manufacture biological weapons. Uh, under the pretext that, well, they might appear somewhere in the future, so we have to research them and then develop a vaccine uh, for a non-existent biological weapon that we're going to create. Uh, and I document that actually in a previous book I wrote called uh, The Future of International Law and in American Foreign Policy. I guess I can send you that if you're interested, I'm taking the story back to uh, uh, 1985. I did want to include it in uh, biowarfare and terrorism, but my publisher said, well, that was ancient history. So uh, we, we, it's not in there. But um, let me say this. Yes, I was the one who blew the whistle on Barrick and the University of North Carolina um, 
DSL-3. Ralph, explain to the, uh, explain yes. who the and is. Ralph, I have you. their um, research article here, all right, where um, Barrick uh, working also uh, with the um, Food and Drug Administration, okay? So you you can't trust anything the Food and Drug Administration is, is telling you today. Uh, they're in their eyeballs uh, with uh, COVID. They're the ones who say they're going to give us this emergency uh, use authorization for the vaccine. Okay. They, they're okay. involved in this. They're right there on the uh, uh, contract. Uh, they also have on this contract that, that was uh, at the University of North Carolina. What the is Dana the contract Farber, for? The, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute at uh, Harvard, my alma mater. There's always been an overlap between cancer research and biological warfare research. And then uh, finally, Zheng Li Shi, the so-called bat queen from the Wuhan BSL-4. That's right there on the uh, contract, the scientific uh, article. You can find it uh, published at... Uh, What's it called? Online, uh, Nat, Nat Med 2015, December, um, uh, yeah, December. Now, if you read the article, it is clear that, and, and by the way, this is all paid for by uh, Fauci, the National Institute of Health, NIAID, Fauci's NIAID, uh, and uh, uh, under the auspices of the Health and Human Services. Um, and if you read the article, it is clear what happened that uh, uh, Madame uh, uh, Zhang Li took uh, a uh, synthetic, um, uh, I would say, uh, SARS biowarfare agent from the Wuhan BSL-4. SARS itself, the SARS-1, was, was a biological warfare agent to begin with and had uh, 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 leaked out of uh, Chinese biowarfare labs before. So they were working with this at, at the BSL-4. And by the way, my uh, uh, Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act anticipated synthetic biology uh, because if, if you read it, I put synthetic microbes in there. Sure enough, we now have synthetic biology. That is uh, completely uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of DARPA. Defense uh, um, Advanced Research Program out of the Pentagon. They set this entire field up. And at the uh, first meeting of the synthetic biologists at their first convention, they produced a report. And one of the top recommendations was to repeal my Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act because they were going to use synthetic biology to produce biological weapons. And they all would face life in prison. Indeed, that's why I put it in there, uh, life in prison, because I'm against the death penalty. The, the Department of Justice put pressure on me uh, to include the death penalty. I said, no, I don't want any piece of legislation under my name with the death penalty. Let's leave it at life imprisonment. And then I, I uh, took that and I drafted notices that at that time, 1989-90, that I put in the major scientific publications saying to all life sciences scientists you know if you do this you face life in prison i right. thought i'd get their intention 
but you know the money didn't really uh, matter. So um, Ms. Zhang Li then uh, took what appeared to be this synthetic uh, uh, recombinant uh, biological weapon from the Wuhan BSL-4 over to the uh, University of North Carolina uh, in uh, uh, their BSL-3. And they added gain-of-function uh, activities to it. Barracks, Barracks is a specialist in gain-of-function. Uh, Explain to the more, audience what gain-of-function is. So uh, again, DNA, genetic engineering, uh, or, and or synthetic biology uh, to make uh, a, a virus more lethal and more dangerous than it already was. And, and also to allow it to cross species. <clears throat> well, you know, that went back quite some time ago. We're, we're way before cross species here. We're already at, at, again, SARS was a biological weapon to begin with, worked on in China, that they apparently distilled somehow from bats. And now we're at the next stage where they're, uh, uh, they're, they're applying gain-of-function activities to make it um, uh, more uh, lethal and more uh, infectious. Indeed, if you read the uh, contract, it also says quite clearly that uh, uh, Fort Detrick had provided them cells. It does not say precisely what type of cells that Fort Detrick provided them. Uh, but we all know Fort, Fort Dietrich, Dietrich. Um, that's the, the that's the U.S. Army lab. Yes, the longstanding BSL-4 that does research, development, testing of every type of hideous biological warfare agent you can possibly imagine. Uh, then say, well, you know, we're just doing this to make vaccines. Well, they might try to make vaccines after they've made the agent. Indeed, Huxel, uh, who used to run Fort Dietrich, admitted that you know, all this dual research work is, is offensive too. Um, so uh, as far well, as I can tell- does it all become actionable? Oh, go ahead, finish what you're saying. Right, so finish your line. She, she then, and, and it, it clearly says there, it's the Wuhan BSL-4 working, working with the University of North Carolina. So as far as I can tell then, she took this biotechnology, uh, uh, the GOF, uh, uh, SARS back to uh, Wuhan BSL-4. Second, then, there is another uh, scientific article where uh, a scientist from the Wuhan BSL-4 went to Australia, working with the Australian Health Board, and they DNA genetically engineered HIV directly into SARS. That, that's a study. It's there. You can read it. HIV, as you know, produces AIDS. Yeah. And they took that back to the Wuhan BSL-4. Um, and it has now been confirmed by the uh, Indian scientists and also by the, uh, 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 the French Nobel Prize winners in uh, uh, medicine that uh, oh, COVID Is that has, Luc, uh, Luc Montagne? Montagne, you're right. That COVID has uh, HIV in there. And I, you know, I've read the study. That is correct. That's one of the reasons why it's so infectious and and dangerous. And we can get to that later. Then on on these vaccines that, you know, we we've we've spent three decades trying to get a vaccine for HIV. It still isn't there. We've spent a generation trying to get a vaccine for cancer. We still don't have it. 
I'm afraid to report we're not going to get a vaccine uh, for COVID. I, I'm afraid it's going to be a situation like uh, cancer or HIV that we will have to um, manage it and, and reduce it, which, you know, we've done great work. Uh, our scientists have done great work trying to bring cancer under control and HIV under control. Now, let me, so all this was there, all this biotechnology that the Chinese had developed themselves with, with the Bat Queen, uh, that Barrick and the rest of them doing the GOF work at University of North Carolina, that was brought back. She brought that back with her. And then this other researcher brought the HIV DNA into and put all this together. All this uh, uh, technology was uh, uh, put together. And then the worst part, of course, the BSL-4 uh, uh, is basically research, develop, uh, testing, and aerosolization of biological weapons. Uh, and the Wuhan BSL-4 admitted on its website <clears throat> that uh, it applied nanotechnology to viruses. You could read that. I read it. Uh, well, nanotechnology means that they are aerosolizing the virus. And why did they aerosolize it? Because that is the way human beings breathe it. You know, you don't you don't get it in the in the natural environment that way. You have to aerosolize a virus, a biological weapon, uh, so that human beings can breathe it. That's exactly what Fort Detrick does too. They've aerosolized uh, Ebola and, and other uh, hideous biological weapons. Aerosolization is always a tip off of a biological weapons program like Fort Detrick, like China's uh, Fort Detrick. And that is why, Christina, uh, they have to wear uh, moon suits with portable air supplies in a BSL-4 <clears throat> because it's so dangerous. Uh, and we know for a fact uh, COVID-19 uh, travels in the air, on the air, and above the air. Uh, the, uh, there was an MIT scientist uh, and according to her research, it traveled at least uh, 27 feet. There was another recent study saying 21 feet. So, you know, this six feet of uh, social distancing is preposterous. Um, it, 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 that's how dangerous uh, it really is here. So I think all this technology was put together at, at the Wuhan BSL-4, and then it leaked. Uh, they, this was their first BSL-4 in China. As I said, as I said in my book, we were dealing with a an international biological warfare arms race. So it appears the Chinese decided to get their own Fort Detrick. Indeed, President Xi was out there. We have pictures of him there. He, he knows what was going on there. Uh, and uh, the problem is that they, they didn't have any experience uh, with BSL-4s. Uh, Madam Xi uh, 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 here, uh, sorry, Xi, she went over to our BSL-4 at uh, Galveston uh, to, you know, find out how they do things over there at Galveston. Well, Galveston is, is almost as bad as Fort Detrick. It's a BSL-4. Uh, Again, research, development, test, every type of hideous biological warfare weapon you could possibly imagine. Uh, so they went back to uh, the, the Wuhan BSL-4 tried to make it as allegedly secure Fort Detrick, 
But as we all know, the summer before last, Fort Detrick had a big leak of something they didn't tell us. They had to shut the place down. All these BSL-3s, BSL-4s leak. They all leak. Uh, oh. And in addition, then, the State Department, uh, you can read this in the Washington Post, Christina, they sent a team out to the uh, Wuhan BSL-4, and their report was that it was extremely dangerous, the security uh, technology, et cetera, uh, was, was unacceptable. So that is why I think it was a leak. I don't believe, uh, despite what you know, the China bashers are saying, that this was a, uh, a deliberate uh, attack on the United States or the rest of the world. These other BSL-4s, BSL-3s have leaked. This one leaked but, too. But Francis, I, there's something wrong here. I, it's not about bashing China, by the way. I think it's about bashing the international bioweapons uh, race and those who are involved in it. Because I don't care if it was an accident. This was all according to the bioweapons conventions. If I'm not, and this is my question to you, I'm, I'm saying this as a question to you. All the bioweapons convention, the convention that you authored, the international convention, isn't Aren't all these activities that resulted in this oopsie uh, yeah. illegal? Yes, Christina, you're perfectly correct that, in my opinion, uh, there is no legitimate scientific reason or medical reason to have a BSL-3 or a BSL-4. They all uh, do research development testing of extremely dangerous, and in the case of these BSL-4s, existentially dangerous biological warfare weapons. And as I said in my book, that was as far back as uh, 2003, we are now in an offensive biological warfare uh, weapons Who's going to be race. held accountable for this? Well, let me say this. Uh, <clears throat> the My Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act is still the law here in the United States and uh, can be applied uh, certainly to uh, Barrick and all uh, U.S. citizens uh, that were involved uh, in the, uh, at, at, at the University of North Carolina in developing COVID. Uh, there's no problem at all. Plus, uh, Fauci funded it. And what happened was that work, the gain-of-function work, was considered to be so dangerous, it was paused under the uh, Obama administration. I read the pause letter from the Health and Human Services to Barrick. Um, and that's because uh, maybe 100 life scientists protested. But then in 2017, under Trump, the pause was lifted. Meanwhile, Fauci took the work at North Carolina and exported it over the Wuhan BSL-4 and financed it and paid, uh, paid for it. About 95%, this is according to the New York Times, of all this hideous biological warfare work that we're seeing going back to Reagan comes out of NIAID under Fauci, and he was involved in it uh, uh, right from the very get-go from uh, Reagan. And yet, if you uh, you know look, turn on the mainstream news media, he's some hero or something like that. 
uh, well, well, he isn't. He's up to his eyeballs uh, in this, as is uh, the National Institute of Health. They're right here on the uh, on the contract. You can read it. The National Institute of Health and, and NIAID, they're right there funding Barrick. And when the pause came in, they just moved all this work to the Wuhan BSL-4. Let me uh, uh, further identify the problem. Um, that Wuhan BSL-4 was a World Health Organization approved research lab. So the WHO was up to its eyeballs here too. Likewise, my alma mater, Harvard, was involved. I already mentioned to you the uh, Dana-Farber uh, Cancer Center at Harvard Medical School, uh, but Harvard was a cooperating uh, agency of the Wuhan BSL-4. It would be like Harvard being a cooperating agency with Fort Detrick, right? It would stink to high heaven, but they have no problem being the cooperative uh, agent there uh, with uh, China's uh, uh, Fort Detrick. Now, uh, in addition, we know that the chairman of Harvard's uh, chemistry department, uh, uh, Professor Lieber, was also over there with his own lab. He's an expert in nanotechnology, okay, which the Wuhan BSL-4 applied to COVID. And not only is he an expert on nanotechnology, he has worked for Fort Dietrich. And he's done the exact same thing for Fort Dietrich. And then uh, the cover story is, oh, well, Harvard didn't know what, what was going on here. That's preposterous. I spent seven years at Harvard. I have three degrees from Harvard. I spent two years teaching at Harvard. Of course, Harvard knew that the chair of its uh, uh, chemi chemistry department was over there at China's Fort Dietrich applying nanotechnology when he specializes in applying nanotechnology uh, to uh, uh, chemistry and biology. So um, this is what we uh, are facing, uh, Christina. Let me ask I, you I think I'm just appearing here to try to explain to your audience what I think is going on and, and what we have to understand if, if we're going to come to grips with this. And this now gets us to these uh, vaccines. Um, uh, COVID-19 is a bio, often extremely existentially dangerous biological warfare uh, agent. Now, these uh, uh, vaccines that have been approved by, uh, apparently are going to be approved by the uh, FDA. And I already quoted to you the FDA, they're going to give emergency use here. They're right there on the contract, uh, on the, the University of North Carolina, working with the Bat Queen from China. Now, the last instance we have where uh, the FDA gave emergency use to vaccines for biological weapons was in the run-up to go for one uh, under Bush Sr. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, and we didn't know why at that time, uh, the uh, Bush senior administration uh, mandated, and I believe Cheney was uh, uh, the uh, uh, Secretary of Defense at that time, mandated that all members of the United States Armed Forces must take uh, vaccines, alleged vaccines, uh, for anthrax and botulin. Why? Well, because as eventually came out, 
the Reagan administration had instructed the Center for Disease Control and American Type Culture Collection uh, to send 40 shipments of weapons-specific biological agents to Saddam Hussein in Iraq in the hope and expectation that he would weaponize these uh, seed agents and then use them against Iran. I mentioned that in, in my book. So we really can't trust CDC here either. Uh, they're up to their eyeballs. But let me continue the story about the vaccines. So the emergency use, these were experimental vaccines. They had only been tested out on monkeys. And they had only been used for uh, cutaneous anthrax uh, if you got it on your hands, not if you breathe it. Okay, it wasn't weapons-grade type stuff. Uh, I helped defend Captain Dr. Yolanda Hewitt Vaughn, who was the highest ranking uh, military officer to refuse to serve in Gulf War I uh, on two grounds. One, uh, she felt that it would violate the uh, Nuremberg Principles Charter Judgment, which it did. And then second, these vaccines that she was going to force to give to U.S. Armed Forces violated the Nuremberg Code on Medical Experimentation, which they did. Um, uh, that goes back to the uh, famous doctor's case at uh, Nuremberg, uh, where doctors were uh, uh, prosecuted for Nazi practices. And they came up with what was known as the Nuremberg Code on Medical Experimentation. You can read that on, on the uh, internet. Did she win her but, case? Pardon me? Did she win her case? Well, let me, uh, I, I'll go through that. Sure. Okay. So, um, uh, and, and it required informed and voluntary consent. And and Hewitt Vaughn said, no, uh, uh, there's nothing informed. There's nothing voluntary here. Uh, and these are, and the by the way, FDA then gave emergency authorization to those vaccines in violation of the Nuremberg Code on Medical Experimentation. Well, they're doing the same thing here. So what happened with Hewitt Vaughn? To make a long story short, after a kangaroo uh, court-martial for desertion at Fort Leonard Wood, she did not desert at where she was AWOL. Um, she was facing five years. She got uh, 33 months. They took her away in chains to medium security uh, at, uh, at the stockade, the uh, uh, military uh, stockade. Um, I got her adopted a prisoner of conscience by Amnesty International. Uh, and eventually uh, we got her out after eight months. Uh, the best we could do. Now, in this uh, court martial, I twice said publicly, uh, in both in the Article 32 hearing and in the uh, uh, court martial itself down at uh, Fort Leonard Wood, uh, that um, Bush, Cheney, uh, uh, Powell, uh, Schwarzkopf had all inflicted a Nuremberg crime on our own troops. That's what I said. Now, the second time at Fort Leonard Wood for the formal court-martial, at that time I had with me the, uh, well, we had two satellite dishes and the uh, actress Margot Kidder was there. Margot had met uh, uh, Yolanda at a peace rally and had come out at her own expense to take care of Yolanda's kids while she was being court-martialed. Uh, a very courageous woman. So we worked out that, you know, the A-list Hollywood star would go out there, introduce me, and then I would have a press conference. And I said 
you know, Bush, Cheney, all the rest of them inflicted a Nuremberg crime on our own troops. Well, that went out nationwide. Indeed, I was told by a lawyer who was there at the White House, they all heard me at the White House, and they were all shaken up. Um, to make a long story short, that was the origins of the Gulf War syndrome that uh, eventually killed 11,000 U.S. members of our, there were 500,000 or so inoculated with these experimental vaccines. Um, 11,000 U.S. troops were killed, 100,000 were disabled. And those are, uh, I haven't dealt with the Gulf War syndrome in a while, so I, I suspect you could find out uh, the updated uh, uh, figures. Um, and those were healthy young men in U.S. armed and women in U.S. armed forces. So you at Vaughan was a prophet. That's what we're facing with these uh, 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 Frankenshots for COVID, right? If you want that, that I think is a ceiling of what we're looking at: five hundred thousand inoculated, eleven thousand dead, one hundred thousand disabled healthy young men of U.S. armed forces and women of U.S. armed forces. The British had the exact same problem with uh, their troops. Um, uh, some lawyers sued the Ministry of Defense. TV4 in uh, Britain, the independent station, did a documentary on this. Uh, they asked me to serve as a consultant, and I am in there with, with Dr. Hewitt Vaughan. Eventually, the British government admitted uh, that there was such a thing as the Gulf War syndrome. By the way, you'll note just this week, the British government gave authorization for these uh, uh, Nazi Frankenshots. Right. They did the exact same thing the last time we were dealing with a biological warfare agent. They poisoned their own troops. I do not have the figures on you know, how many uh, British troops came down with Gulf War syndrome. That was handed by their lawyers. The critical fact here is that the uh, uh, French government also sent uh troops to fight in uh, Gulf War One, and they had been burned once before in their wars in Indochina with an anthrax vaccine that made them all sick. So the French government did not inoculate uh, their troops that they sent to, Gulf, to the Gulf War One. They did not come down with Gulf War syndrome. Uh, so it's clear the uh, uh, these experimental. Yeah, you biological... had a control group with the French right there. So there you right. go. Well, in, in any event, it, it turned out that our troops, when they went to the VA, were told, oh, this is all in your head because they're still covering it up there in the Pentagon and the VA yes. because they, they knew they committed a Nuremberg crime on our own troops. So they destroyed all the files, all the records. And the VA has said, if if. People come in there, uh, well, it's all in your head. However, there was a private sector doctor who did look into this, and he found uh, it in one of the vets he was examining that inside the vet was a DNA genetically engineered mycoplasm. And I suspect it came from the shots. By the way, uh, uh, the Gulf War syndrome was so infectious. It was being conveyed uh, to healthcare workers who tried to treat the vets uh, oh and God, family man. members. Okay, so it's clear you had a biological warfare agent uh, at, at work here. Um, so uh, again, uh, uh, 
Christina, I'm afraid this is what we are facing now with these these COVID vaccines. Is there seen, any is there no injunction or anything that could be filed against this vaccine? Well, there could, yeah. You know, if, if got some lawyers that want to get together and do it, I, I, I'm happy to talk with them and advise them and, you know, putting it together. It'd be an effort, but sure, we could try it. But I, I think th this is what we are facing because, you know, those statistics, 500,000 inoculated, 11,000 dead, 100,000 disabled is a floor for what's going to happen with the two COVID vaccines now we have because they're, um, these are, are, are are completely novel, taking messenger RNA and sticking them into people. Messenger RNA is very dangerous stuff. Uh, you know, if you, if you take a basic course in uh, 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 genetics, uh, it, it will entire it, it will uh, can affect the entire genetic composition of your body, uh, and it's never been tried before. Uh, and uh, in addition, a normal vaccine takes anywhere from eight to ten years. Well, the, yeah, excuse me. This is the Trump vaccine, right? That he tried uh, uh, to get through in time for the uh, election. Even uh, Senator Harris said she was not going to take any vaccine developed by Trump. Okay, so eight months, we have extremely dangerous vaccines here. And what are they going to do, first of all? Well, uh, they're going to use it on healthcare workers. Well, okay. I guess they have to decide for themselves. You know, they they have knowledge. Well, uh, but they, aren't they going to legally force people to do this? They are. That you, either you take the vaccine or we'll fire you. Right now, but the other point is, it, it's already in the New York Times yesterday. I, I haven't had a chance to read the Times today yet. I've been kind of busy. Uh, the next group will be senior citizens living uh, in um, nursing homes. They will be in no position to give any type of informed and uh, voluntary uh, consent to these uh, uh, two vaccines that the FDA is going to give emergency use. I'm afraid these vaccines will go through them like like a hot knife through butter. Um, that's that's what I'm afraid we're we're going to see here. Um, and then they're saying, well, and uh, well, we want to give them to African-Americans. <laughs> well, at least African-Americans, they've been through this before. And, you know, they, they decided, you know, we're not going to be guinea pigs here for the United States government. You know, you, you have the uh, Tuskegee experiment where you infected them all with syphilis and did nothing at all about it. You don't um, think the next ones will be will be everybody in the military? Of course. They're I mean, going to require the they will require. Everyone in the military, what do we have? Over 2 million people in U.S. Armed Forces. They will be required to take it too. This will be at least a repeat of the Gulf War Syndrome. Yes, uh, there's not a doubt in my mind. But for senior citizens, it's going to be worse because, you know, they're, they're not. So uh, your, they're first, your first set of clients is everybody in a nursing home. Is what? I said your first set of clients is everybody in a nursing home. I would think so, right? Or their They're, family members, right? Right. Certainly, the the senior citizens in um, in nursing homes. Yeah, I, I'm afraid they're just going to all be wiped out. And I guess, you know, uh, Christina, uh, that will save the financial plutocracy paying their social security benefits, 
their Medicare, their Medicaid, oh and other types of uh, uh, economic benefits that the senior citizens, our greatest generation who fought World War II, and then some of my generation, the you know the baby boomer generation, um, they're all of a sudden going to be disappearing from the uh, federal payrolls, right? So uh, that that coincides neatly, uh, I believe, with the uh, economic objectives uh, of the plutocracy who run this uh, uh, this country. And this is, uh, Christine, in my opinion, the the Nazi philosophy of useless eaters. That's their attitude. Uh, that was condemned at the Nuremberg uh, Judgment, uh, 1946, and it's now the 75th uh, anniversary of the convening of the Nuremberg uh, Tribunal. So uh, I, I think that's the philosophy we're seeing here. Indeed, that's Trump philosophy with the so-called herd immunity. There's no herd immunity for an offensive biological warfare agent. It's ridiculous. Yeah, for an artificially created thing. Yeah. Right. Of wow. course not. Wow. Herd immunity will come, with, uh, you know, if you give uh, vaccines that are, you know, safe and effective to people, which these are not. So, um, you know, we. Uh, I'm afraid this will be a catastrophe for senior citizens, uh, members of the U.S. military and uh, healthcare workers uh, to begin with, yes. So let me ask you something. Um, let's go back to the anthrax attacks of 2001, because um, the FBI investigation was supposed to get to the bottom of it and, and did not. And in your book, you wrote about how they covered up any evidence of who might have been involved, right? Well, it's even worse than that. Uh, let me explain what happened there on, on the anthrax. Uh, of course, I follow all these things professionally. Uh, and I was reading about the anthrax, peering here, peering there, and uh, not exactly sure what to make of it until the technology behind the anthrax against Senator Daschle and Senator Leahy was published in the New York Times. I believe that was uh, maybe the last week uh, in October. And it was clear to me this was uh, super weapons grade anthrax. Uh, it had a, a trillion spores per gram. Again, special, aerosolized. Right, special silicon coating. So it was aerosolized. So obviously it had to be come out of a U.S. biological warfare weapons laboratory. So once I read that, I called up a high-level uh, uh, FBI lawyer, Marion Spike, Bomer, uh, uh, Spike Bowman, who worked for the uh, counterterrorism division of the FBI. And we had both spoken together at a conference at the uh, University of Michigan Law School on international terrorism. And he had talked about uh, biological weapons and things. And he knew of my expertise that, you know, we talked about biological, he knew I had drafted the uh, statute. So I immediately called him up and I said, uh, look here, this is 
super weapons-grade anthrax that have, could have only come out of a U.S. biological warfare lab and program. And uh, I went through the reasons for my conclusion. And then he said, okay, I'll pass this on to our agents in the field conducting the investigation. So I hung up the phone and then I realized I had a list of all the anthrax work being done by the Department of Defense. It was in the sea uh, 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 chemical biological uh, warfare report by the Pentagon itself that had been drafted here at the University of Illinois Center for uh, Engineering Research Lab uh, run by the uh, Pentagon. And it was a cover-up. It was a whitewash and a cover-up of the Reagan plans because uh, the Council for Responsible Genetics asked me to uh, debunk that uh, uh, chemical and biological warfare program, uh, which was submitted to them. And you can read that in my book. So I immediately called Bowman up and I said, I have a list right here of uh, programs, biological warfare anthrax programs uh, and, and the names of the researchers and what they were doing going back to the uh, Reagan administration. And I proceeded to read all the laboratories to him and, and the researchers doing anthrax work. And then I said, now we also know that it came out in the book Germs by the two reporters uh, there at the New York Times, Broad and Miller, in the summer of 1990, that the CIA was involved in offense, offensive biological warfare work, including anthrax uh, uh, and also uh, uh, biological warfare agents that uh, were resistant to uh, antibiotics. That all came out. Uh, in the summer of, of 1990. And I told him that. And I said, so it, it's clear the CIA is doing this work too. So you need you know, to go over as well with your agents and subpoenas to the CIA to find out what so they you are doing. Gave, you gave the FBI the roadmap for yes. finding the culprits. That's exactly correct. I did. And, so and then, well, let me up... say then, so, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'll, I'll finish okay. the story and then you can ask the question. So um, Bowman said, uh, well, we're going to uh, uh, find out for this information over to our people at Fort Detrick. I said, well, you know, Fort Detrick could be the problem here. You could have someone uh, uh, who is on the reservation, not off the reservation. And so I mentioned Fort Detrick. I mentioned the CIA. I mentioned all these other biological warfare programs. I gave it to Bowman on a platter, the whole thing. And by the way, we also know that Bowman was the same uh, FBI agent who killed, killed the request uh, from the FBI uh, uh, agents, field agents in Minnesota to get a uh, warrant into Musawi's computer. Musawi, as you know, was alleged to be involved in 9-11-2001. Obviously, if, if they had access to his computer, uh, uh, maybe the whole thing could have unraveled before then. It was Bowman who killed that. And uh, so, uh, the, alleged grounds, the alleged grounds was, well, uh, 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 we couldn't get a warrant from the FISA court. Well, any law professor who has studied the FISA court 
knows it's a kangaroo court with a rubber stamp. Of course, they would have gotten a warrant uh, with the evidence. Uh, I think it was Colleen Riley up there who, who you know, was doing everything so she could. So are you saying Bowman was a fixer? So then what happened was, I had assumed, however, this came out later, I discussed in my book, that, that Bowman was going to get on this, that, that the FBI, I had given them all the information they needed to track down you know, the, the culprits here. Um, and what happened? The United States government keeps a collection or kept a collection of uh, uh, AIMS, what's called AIM strain anthrax at its own lab out there in Ames, Iowa. The FBI went out there and ordered to ordered them to destroy all of it. In or that would have, with those strains, they could have easily conducted a DNA uh, genetic reconstruction of where the Amerithrax came from. And they destroyed all of it. So at that point, it was clear to me the FBI was in in on the uh, cover-up. They've been in on it uh, ever since. And the uh, danger here, uh, Christina, is that there is still a stockpile of that super weapons-grade anthrax sitting somewhere. I suspect it's out there at uh, Fort Detrick where that other uh, anthrax, as, as you correctly pointed out, uh, was distributed. So, oh, sorry, at, uh, du- yeah, Dugway. Dugway uh, so I, I think that's I, I think that's say, where it is. But, Dugway but is they, where they were aerosol. Dugway and Battelle allegedly. Well, that uh, um, we're not exactly sure uh, who you know who did that, but it appears it was the uh, CIA and its contractor uh, Battelle. Uh, they it appears from the record as best my friend uh, Professor Graham McQueen. Uh, at uh, up in Canada has written a book on that. Yeah. And well, he- I'll tell you in your book, one, another thing that I thought was really interesting that you noticed, uh, calling uh, talking about the cover up tactics that the FBI used. You said that they went out and retained every independent life scientist they could locate, and then they swore them all to secrecy, right? So they could never comment on the investigation and give their expert opinion to the American people. That's correct. It, it so. was a total uh, cover up. And then uh, they they then uh, proceeded to say, well, now we're uh, 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 starting a uh, dragnet here to find out who has anthrax. Well, they already had that information. You know, it was there. They destroyed it. And it was clear. You know, I'm I'm a law professor. I was originally hired here to teach criminal law, which I did for several years. That clearly was obstruction of justice right there, what they did at at the Ames lab. It was criminal activity at least five years. It was a felony that the FBI was engaged in. And then you are correct. They went out and lined up uh, just about every microbiologist they could in the country uh, uh, and swore them to secrecy, saying, oh, well, you're part of our investigation, but you can't say anything. And no one said anything except me. You know, I did. And- uh, I, by the way, right after I had read the uh, uh, technology and spoke to Bowman twice, the two phone calls, the following weekend, the first weekend in November, the Council for Responsible Genetics was having a uh, convention at Harvard Divinity School, and they had asked me to chair uh, uh, a workshop there against biological weapons. 
Uh, and on the uh, panel were uh, the founder of CRG, Professor Jonathan King at uh, MIT. He runs their electron uh, microscope uh, lab, world-class biology, was one of the top in the world. And Susan Wright, who uh, worked at the uh, University of Michigan at that time. Uh, and as I was going in to on the steps to Harvard Divinity School, there was a Fox News team there and asked me my opinion about the anthrax attacks. And because they, you know, they knew my expertise. And I said, clearly this came out of a US government biological warfare lab. Then I went in to the uh, convention. I said the exact same thing. Professor King uh, agreed with me. Then I came back here uh, to Champaign. And the next day, I think a Monday, I gave uh, uh, an interview, live interview to uh, Pacifica Radio Network, uh, an affiliate there in uh, Washington, DC. And then about midweek, I gave an interview, live interview to the BBC. Okay. Well, you're on the BBC, everyone in the world hears you, right? And at that point, someone gave an order, and I was never interviewed again by any, any mainstream news media source in the entire world when it comes to biological uh, warfare weapons. No one has ever talked to me again uh, in any mainstream. I, I have given some... Uh, interviews in India. I gave one in on COVID-19. I gave one in Australia. I, I gave one over in uh, Moscow, but that's it. No one Francis, else can talk to me. We're out of time. I'm happy to talk to you whenever I want to have you back on the show. There's so much more to discuss, but thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, um, I don't know. We got to think about how to get accountability for all these crimes. Well, I think the first, thing, the first thing we have to do is come to grips with COVID-19 pandemic. And, and, and so I would encourage you, I don't mean to make you know, work for you, is to get this, interv this interview out all over the internet. I'm oh, of course. Because I've, of course. I've been completely censored, despite my impeccable credentials here, having actually written the law that was adopted unanimously by both houses of Congress and signed into law by President George Bush Sr., no one will talk to me, period. All right, we're gonna have to leave it there, but thank you so much for coming on and I hope you'll come on again because there's right. a lot more to talk about. You well, thanks a lot course. for having me on and uh, happy My to spend pleasure. the time with you and, and happy holidays to uh, everyone out there. Bye-bye. Thank you, thank you.